Hello. <laughs> ¿Cómo estás? Bien, hija, ¿y tú? Muy bien, mi mami. That right there is my beautiful mama. ¿Te acuerdas las transcripciones con las que me ayudaste? Sí. The summer of 2019, I met Betty, a Venezuelan woman in her late 50s who had come with her granddaughter to Peru in search of refuge from her country's socioeconomic crisis. The day I first met her, I was working at a refugee shelter in Lima, Peru. We immediately spotted each other. She seemed very social and warmed up the room. I came up to her and shared that I was holding space for all the women at the shelter who wanted to share their testimonio, and she instantly began to tell me hers. Caught off guard with no recorder or pen to write, I realized both were unnecessary. The only thing she needed from me was to listen. The stories she shared were heavy, honest, and complex. Her testimony speaks to the experiences of a lot of daughters, receivers of the intergenerational trauma that is passed on from woman to woman in toxic machista societies. She deals with the damage perpetuated by her own mother's silence. Her story presents a relationship that speaks to many women, including those in my family, because it captivates the conflicting feelings of growing up in an environment where love and violence are blurred together. A year later, I sat down to transcribe the recordings of our conversations with the help of my own mom. What happened? What are you doing calling me at this hour? Are you crazy or what? That's Betty speaking. She's reenacting the phone call when she found out through the father of her children that her mother had passed away. Unfortunately, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. What happened? Your mother passed away last night. I remember that I didn't cry. And I asked God for forgiveness because it's not that I don't love her. Rather, I felt grateful to God that he had taken my mother because I saw how they humiliated her and disrespected her. It made me very sad. Of course I need my mother, but for my mother to be living as she lived, it is better that God has taken her. The experience of relief Betty felt when her mother passed away is something that my mom can relate to. Both struggled with the unknown reasons behind their mother's decisions that caused them harm. But now, aside from being daughters, they also understand the difficulty of being a mother. This is why I asked my mom to be in this project. She helps me understand the complexity of Betty's relationship with her mother by reflecting on her own relationship with my grandmother. How do you feel when Betty says, I ask God for forgiveness? It reminded me of me with my mother. That's my mom speaking again. Because I love my mom, and I still love her. But that passage in my life left me with a lot of anger and rage for not telling me the truth of why she sent me away, why she didn't bring me back when I told her I wanted to come back home. When my mom was 14, her parents sent her to live with relatives in Las Vegas. She left her home in Tijuana, Mexico without knowing any English. Once in Vegas, she would plead over the phone with her mom to bring her home. When she finished high school, she moved back to Tijuana and started working at 16. My mom felt like my grandma never told her the true reason for sending her away. Meanwhile, her two brothers and older sister remained in Tijuana and eventually got to go to college. And well, to be honest, when I immigrated to the U.S., it released me from the weight I felt from constantly interacting with family because I left things that were causing me damage. Did I feel relief when my mother passed? Yes. Do I feel guilty? Yes. But I also ask God for forgiveness for not crying. 
even though most of my life I was right by my mother's side. I don't tell you I was happy because I was always a sad kid. Because I didn't know what it was like to interact with other children outside of school. I grew up in a home with two old parents. Betty's mother was in her mid-40s when she gave birth to her. Betty grew up as the youngest child in a family of eight, with most of her siblings being older by at least 20 years. In my house, there weren't other children, only my brother and I. My brother was older than me, but my brother, because he was a man, he was always on the street, playing games and joking. I was inside my house. I had a very strict education. I didn't grow up like the kid who plays with dolls. The toys that my father bought for me, my mother would pack them and send them to my sister's house, because she has children. Perhaps my mother did it with all the best intentions in the world for them, but for me, it was hurting me. Ever since I was a child and I was growing up, I wanted her to see that I was there. It was only when I stopped yelling at her in my own timid way, look at me, I am here, that she started looking for me. But I was no longer interested because by then I was used to being alone. I have developed into myself more today than when I was a kid. I was like too trapped in a fist and it was too tight. And today I am a woman. I walk over there, I walk over here. I go where I want and do what I want. I am now a free woman and I run, I go, I come wherever I please. After Betty shared details with me about her childhood, it was specifically the toy anecdote that stood out to me. Why would her mother take away her toys, almost as if they were hers to give? Her mother's behaviors felt counterintuitive, impeding Betty from experiencing a childhood like that of her siblings. It reminded me of my grandmother's latter decisions in life. As Betty described the hurt she experienced from her mother's lack of affection and attention growing up, I wondered where that coldness derived from. It was easy to notice the gender roles that distinguished the childhood Betty got to live compared to her brother. But there was something else. I also thought this when I listened to my mom speak about my grandma's refusal to acknowledge that she hurt her and provide an explanation for why she sent her away. Within these relationships, there's a complex truth hidden in their mother's silence, denial, and secrecy that speaks to their motherhood and own womanhood. As I sat on Betty's bed, I noticed her take a long pause and look out to the courtyard before she turned back to share what she'd uncovered in her own life that might provide context to her mother's treatment. For this next part, I want to reiterate a trigger warning for sexual abuse. Look, you know that my mom tried telling me one time, but in the way she tried to tell me, I didn't understand her. Not until the end. But I always remember that I asked her, Mom, is it true that my crib was made of pink iron? And she would ask me, Betty, how do you remember that? I slept there. And she told me, Betty, you were very small, you were a baby. How do you remember? But I remember. There is a pair of eyes that I see. It's a man. There was one time when my mother tried to tell me something. She said, yes, Betty, you know that when you were a baby, but then she kept quiet. When Betty confided in me with this memory, she mentioned that it wasn't her dad, but another man whom she wasn't sure of. After asking her mother about this memory, her mom confessed that when Betty was a baby, she noticed a concerning issue in her genital area. Betty asked her how that had happened and why she didn't take her to the hospital, but her mother could never answer. It wasn't until two months after her mother passed that Betty began to grapple with the truth of something she had always wondered. When I went to get married the first time, 
My fiancé left me stranded at the altar. We had decided to have sex so that the wedding night would not be as painful. And he didn't show up. All my life I thought it was because of that. And after so many years, I ran into him like one or two months after my mom passed away. We talked about it and he asked me if I hadn't realized that I was no longer a virgin. He said that I had cheated on him. And I didn't. I didn't. And he said, tell me who you were with. But with nobody. I cried. I jumped. I kicked. After so many years, after so many years tying up the dots. And it's unfortunate that my mother has already passed and she's not here to confirm what I already know. The baby I see is me. And that man holding me sexually abused me as a baby. On the inside... My body trembled with anger and pain. While on the outside, I held Betty's hand as she reserved a moment for herself. Taking long, deep breaths and holding her stare to mine with strength and pain. After that realization, I would ask myself, who do I ask now? It was the only time I felt completely helpless. Why didn't we run into each other two months before? If it had been two months before, I would have asked my mother, and she would have had to tell me. Before, so many things would happen, and the woman would keep it a secret. Why is that? Why? Because of fear, shame, fear to be left alone. I don't know, a thousand things. They were women with very difficult lives, mija. Have I shared with you that your grandmother was sexually abused? That's the secret. I didn't know. No one knew. I found out from my sister because one day she told me this, so I would stop fighting with my mom because my mom had suffered a lot. If you start learning people's histories, you start realizing how things came to be why they happen, and why they repeat themselves. In my mind, I thought that this traumatic experience would have pushed Betty's mother to be more compassionate and closer to Betty. But why had it resulted in the opposite? This was a question I wouldn't gain clarity on until later when talking with my mom. But I'll come back to this later. Betty herself had to deal with this question. She didn't understand why her mother didn't tell her, why she didn't do anything, or why she had been so harsh with her. Before Betty's mother passed, Betty entered a deep depression that led her to seek out psychological help. Betty sought to understand her relationship with her mother better, but when she discussed the damage that her mother had caused her, the therapist only worsened the wounds. I had to go to the psychologist, and the doctor told me that in order to heal, I had to admit that my mother didn't love me. And I started crying, and I told her that, that my mom did love me. Maybe not the way I wanted her to love me, but she loved me in her own way. And I told her, if I have to admit that my mother is bad and does not love me, then I will never heal. And I got up and left. I never went back. Because I, I love my children very much. And I can't accept that any mother is bad. Maybe she loves her children badly. That's something else. But to say a mother doesn't love her children, I cannot admit that because that is a very great pain. And that's what happened to my mother, that she did things to me, without bad intent, because my mother. It's not that she was ignorant because I taught her to read and to write her name. There were things she talked to me about sometimes, but there were other things that she did to me that were painful. And that's why I say, well, it could be a product of her ignorance. But no, no, I don't accept it. I loved my mother way too much. I believe her mother loved her. That's my mom speaking again. What do I think? 
What happens is this. When you have children, they're born at different stages of your life. I think the stage of her mother's life in which Betty was born, or what happened with Betty, her mother had so much pain and remorse that she wasn't able to develop a relationship with Betty. It's difficult. There's people who become cold instead of embracing. They push people away due to the guilt and anger they feel. Though we will never know the reason behind Betty's mother's actions, my mother's insight gave me some understanding into what she could have been dealing with. Taking into consideration the decade in which Betty grew up, along with the society she and her mother were brought up in, I knew the circumstances for women were horrific, especially in a highly machista society. Still, Betty's mother and my grandmother's silence and exploitation of their daughter's unconditional love for them was inherently violent and the origin of their trauma. I myself had experienced this as a daughter and as a woman in my family, though never in the magnitude of Betty or my mom. But I still knew how difficult it is to deal with the coexistence of love and violence in your kinships. I was also curious to see where Betty's dad fell into everything and the contrast in role he'd played compared to her mother. After I asked Betty, she proceeded to share an anecdote that actually gave me more insight into who her mom was and the ways in which she had expressed her love to Betty. My dad, he was a good man. He was the greatest. It was my first difficult death. My father died when my son was one year old. When my father died, I cried because I knew that. That when my father was no longer there, I would have many enemies against me. Their eyes were on me. Betty is referring to her siblings' eyes. And in fact, that's what happened. I sold my house because my father had given me the second floor in the house, and to also move in with my mom because she was alone. I remember that when we arrived. I was sitting at the table. My brother came near me and hit the table and said, Well, my dad is dead. You can pack your things and get out of here with your children. And I remember that. That my mother stood up like a beast, and it was the first and only time that she confronted her son. I don't know if it was the pain from having lost my father, but I saw my mother very sure of herself, and she stood up and she told him that's not true. That she had not died yet, and that house belonged to her. Therefore, I didn't have to leave because I didn't have a house, and he couldn't kick anyone out from there because that was her house. Yes. But at the moment when I needed her, I found her. That is why I do not regret it until the day I die. I do not regret leaving the therapist's office and having told her that my mother did love me. In her own way. But she loved me. She was my mom. I believe that her mother did love her. Because her mother can love her. But you don't know what happened for her to be so harsh with Betty. The situation here, I believe, is the time period. What the mother was going through, her education, child sexual abuse wasn't as spoken about as it is now. I think that her mother's guilt ate her from inside. She could have become filled with the same anger and rage she had with herself for not having done anything. The way she speaks about her mother is very different from the way she speaks about her father. How do you think you perceive your mother differently? It's like me. It's the same. I identified myself. 
I don't speak badly about my dad. My dad, for me, he would spoil me. He would show me affection, but that doesn't stop me from noticing his errors and his behaviors. But I've never criticized or judged my father for sending me to Las Vegas. And right now that you ask me, it's the first time I think about it. I don't understand why we're like this. We judge our mother, but we don't judge our father. Because like he doesn't have as much interference in our lives. But he's the man that is just there. The protector. The one that takes care of you. The one that provides. But the weight is carried by the mother. It was interesting to witness my mom realize that she had never questioned her dad's role in sending her away. I felt like she developed a new sense of compassion for her mother because she related to her. I start to understand my mom now that I'm older. And as a person, sometimes you say, I don't want to attend to no one no more. It's so difficult to take care of so many people that sometimes I tell myself, well, how am I not going to be the way I am when I have so many worries on my shoulders? You continue to carry with everything because you're a mother. And sometimes we don't realize it, but we judge that person. And I tell you because I judged my mother a lot and I got angry with her. She would tell me, when you're a mother, you will realize a lot of things. And I am living the same experiences that my mother lived with me. It's not easy to be a mother. And how do you think we can heal the damage that our mothers experience and the intergenerational trauma that passed on to their daughters as a result? What you're experiencing with me isn't the same as what I lived with my mother. You and I talk honestly. I could never do that with my mother. Communication is important. You don't have to carry my feelings like I carried my mother's. But it was a way of life back then. But right now, you and your sisters are breaking those schemes, those stereotypes and forms. She's right. My mom and I have a form of communication that she and my grandmother never had. But it hasn't been easy to develop this. I believe it started at the end of high school and got better when I went away to college. During this time, I've gained knowledge and exposure that's helped me identify the harmful practices that have been passed down in my family and culture. Learning about the lives of the women in my family has increased my compassion and patience. Not to say my mom and I don't fight, but I can recognize when sometimes her harmful behaviors derive from her trauma. Nonetheless, like she said, as a daughter, it's not my role to carry my mother's feelings. Because then, love can become a source of manipulation without either of us being aware of it. Going back to Betty's first anecdote, when her mother gave away the toys that belonged to Betty, she assumed her daughter would be okay with that decision. Yet clearly, more than 40 years later, similar to my mom, Betty continues to reflect on that decision from her mother along with others that caused her harm. Her mother's actions are reflective of something that happens a lot. When parents treat their children, specifically their daughters, as if they belong to them, neglecting the existence of that person's independent entity. But it goes beyond. When your mother expects you to put up with various harmful patterns they also had to put up with when they were daughters, because that's quote unquote how it is. This, however, is how the cycle of intergenerational trauma is passed down to the woman of the family. Growing up, one's unconditional love is taken advantage of, and the lines between violence and love are blurred. This comes in various forms. When you, as a daughter, are taught and expected to keep silent, to put other feelings before your own, or to live your life endlessly taking care of everyone else but yourself and your family.
I wasn't sure how to end my reflection from this very challenging yet very enlightening journey mostly because I'm still on it like I'm every day learning about it experiencing it and having these conversations with my mom and my sisters but for now I'll recite a poem I came across while scrolling through one of my generation's gems TikTok it is a poem by Lebanese American writer Khalil Gibran titled On Children. It goes, Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you, for life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. I don't know if I told you that when my mother was being cremated, my mother came to my house. I felt her presence. Did I tell you? My mother had a perfume that was very strong, but she was one of those old ladies that wears a lot of perfume. It is to be added in droplets. But my mother would bathe herself in it, and I used to tell her, Mom, you put on a lot of perfume. You smell like a whore. And she laughed. Anyways, so that time I saw her, I was sitting, and a smell came through the door. It was my mom's perfume. My son was talking to me, and then he went silent. I stared at him and I asked, what happened? And he looks at me and says, Mom, I smell the perfume of my grandmother. My house was suddenly filled with her perfume. I talked with her, and then I said my goodbyes.